Hello and welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Yes, you heard right. Tracy Jones is in the house. I'm sorry I've been missing for a few weeks, a bit of a family emergency with a a poorly son. But Heather has really held the fort. I've edited the show, so I I have been involved. I've heard the shows and, and I've been really impressed, Heather. How did you get on? How did it feel? It felt so weird. It felt so weird because we've done this for so long and... The first, you know, the first item is always a, a, a discussion. It's like, how am I going to discuss this with myself? So, I mean, obviously, you know, I can have dialogue inside my head. That's that's no problem. But actually trying to form something cohesive, yeah. it, I've really, really struggled. You could have um, pretended I was there like I had a little sock puppet and talking to the sock puppet, couldn't you? Yes, Tracy. Yes, I agree. And then the sock yeah. puppet, Tracy, nods. Or maybe not. Well, I think he did a great job anyway. And it probably felt a bit unusual to you. But from where I was sat, which was uh, listening with my headphones on whilst I was editing, it sounded great. So thank you well, for holding the fort. Kind. But um, but don't do that again. That's just, <laughs> uh, you know, just... I've told my son he can't be poorly anymore. Okay. And uh, I've got a podcast to do, so... Quite right. Now, one of the things that um, I really did enjoy, actually, during his period of illness, uh, because every cloud has a silver lining, of course, I was making regular trips to Liverpool and about 45, 50 minutes each way, depending, Heather, on whether the roads were closed for roadworks. That caught me out a few times on the way home. But I was able to catch up on quite a few podcasts as well. So I really enjoyed that. Did you I, find any good ones? Oh, yeah. This this one called The Business Community. This woman on her own was doing this podcast. I thought she was cracking. Yeah. Did you buy her a coffee? <laughs> Damn, I never thought about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy her a coffee. <laughs> I had a few coffees myself from service stations, but I, I didn't think to buy one for Heather. <laughs> the other thing that I've um, noticed is that I've been eating chocolate a little Ooh. bit too much as well. And obviously, when you're when you're travelling in your car, there's only a limited number of things that you can buy, aren't they? You can buy a sandwich or a pie. Maybe I should have been a bit more planned, taken packed lunches and things like that, but hey-ho. And I bought some chocolate. And I'd go to the supermarket and, you know, the supermarket aisles, they're full of all sorts of chocolate, aren't they? But one chocolate that hadn't come to mind that is very much in the supermarket these days, is Thorntons. And our topical discussion today is about Thorntons and the fact that they're actually closing all of their own high street shops, their own shops, and they're only going to be selling in supermarkets. Are are they selling online as well, Heather? They're selling online, but but this is one of the things, and this is why I think this story is really interesting, is because when it was reported that 61 shops and they're closing, okay, that's fine. But then, you know the whole rabbit warren thing that you go down? Yeah. When you read an article and then it says, we're, but Thorntons are closed, but we're open. And there are a lot of, and I sort of remember now, you know, sometimes you go into a shop and they've got like a Thorntons concession. Yeah. 
inside them well they are remaining open okay so the concessions are there the supermarket shelves are there but thornton's own dedicated shop isn't there anymore yeah one of the um so the article that we read was in uh, bbc news um Mm. and i think one of the things it pointed out there was that there have been um a lot more chocolate shops. There's some obvious chocolate shops that are out there, Hotel Chocolat, and um, then there's the Artisan Chocolatiers and all sorts of different high-end chocolate available. But Thornton's was the high-end chocolate when we were kids, wasn't it? Did you you have much Thornton's? For me, it was a, a very rare occasion that we'd actually have anything from Thornton's. Absolutely. Thornton's would be if I bought for my mother, you know, when I was younger, you'd save up and perhaps for her birthday or Christmas, you'd buy her a box of Thornton's Continentals. Oh, yeah. You know, and that was, you know, that was amazing. And I still know which are my favourites out of that box. Um, And then as an adult and when when I met my husband, he used to like they did like little bags of something called Alpini, which were... Oh, I love them, yes. Yeah. They, they're the slightly crunchy with proline and, and like a icing sugar coating. Yeah, but all, yes, yes. So the, everybody had their favourites. You know, you could buy them individually or you could buy them in these lovely boxes. But, of course, you could only buy them in the Thornton shop. And at, at Mother's Day, at Easter, people would queue to get into the Thorntons in Shrewsbury, certainly on Pride Hill. Yeah. Um, because it was a treat. And I'm even thinking now, about the one I remember from childhood, and that was in Newcastle under Lyme. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember any of the shops, but Newcastle had uh, slightly better shops, you know, the smaller, oh, sure. nicer shops, yes. Mm. But 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 what... what um, what I think is interesting is that even now, if I see a box of Thornton's chocolates in the supermarket, I feel like I can't buy them from the supermarket because it looks like I'm trying to suggest that I've been to a Thornton's exclusive <laughs> chocolate shop to buy this box of chocolates, which is really, really special. And yet I've just taken it off the shelf in Tesco's and it just feels a bit weird. I know what I you know mean. Why. <laughs> Why? I didn't know. I didn't know some of the history of the um, of the company until I read this article. It's really really good, actually. Um, it was called Thornton's Closure. I think the headline was it. It was the place to get that Willy Wonka feeling. I I really yeah. get. That. Um, but it it started in 1911, and it was a sweet shop in Sheffield. And they didn't actually start making chocolate until the 1920s. So they were just selling sweeties up until that point. But um, it's been, it was taken over um, quite a few years ago now um, by Italian food giant Ferrero. And um, it, it sort of invested quite a bit in the company then. But uh, it started shrinking really from 2016, according to this. Um, between 2016 and 2021 it had 252 branches that was down to 20 uh, 61 and now those last 61 are going as well and I th- when you look at those numbers so they they said that in 2011 which was before the Ferrero takeover yeah. they had 350 shops and 200 franchises and then in those four years, those subsequent four years, the shops reduced by 100 
And yet yeah. Ferrero still invested 45 million. Yeah, so and clearly then, it was it was an interesting time for Ferrero to be buying. Yeah. Hmm. And then in the subsequent five years, then it reduced down to this 61 shops. So I'm not saying the writing was on the wall, but it, it's an interesting one as to why it was a sound investment for Ferrero. I suppose maybe, maybe they thought they know. could maybe they thought they could turn it around. I mean, because around about that time, obviously, Hotel Chocolat uh, outlets were growing. So maybe they mm. thought they could compete with them. But I don't know. Maybe it's because Hotel Chocolat, is a, it's, maybe it's got more of that luxury feel to it that Thornton's had all those years ago. Well, they kind of did it the other way around, didn't they? Because Hotel Chocolat used to be online. And then... They had a high street presence. I can remember somebody sending a massive, massive box of Hotel Chocolat chocolates to um, a company that I worked in. I mean, it was literally, you know, the size of a, I don't know, a, a massive computer monitor. I mean, it was this great big box. Ooh. And everybody was like, ooh, what's this? This is very exciting. And then slowly they sort of emerged onto the high street. But, um, but th those franchises... Um, the thing that I think is really interesting is that it costs £7,000 to have the franchise and have the Thornton's name on the front of your shop. Wow. And that's quite a lot of chocolate, yeah. isn't it? You've got to sell a lot of chocolate to recover just that, haven't you? Never mind yeah. all your other overheads you've got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's been a bit of sort of adverse um, comment around that as to whether the way that Thorntons have announced their shop closures has been handled as sensitively as it might have done for these people who are still trying yeah. to, you know, keep their own businesses going. Mm. So uh, I think, it, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting story. And I, st I, I, I couldn't resist the temptation of going and thinking about Bourneville and Cadbury's, you know, because Thorntons yeah. was this family business, as you said, they started off selling, um, uh, what did they call them? Um, Viola something, aren't they? Yeah, uh, cashews. Oh, violet cashews, yeah. Violet cashews and full nanas, which were also a type of cashew sweet. I have no do you idea. remember them from your childhood, Heather? I, yes, of course I do. In fact, I think I invented them. Um, but it was that whole, then they went into chocolate. And, and Bourneville, you know, the best known, they were... A, Bourneville chocolate came in 1908 so there was there was this big shift mm. um Cabris established in 1824 um so chocolate was a luxury thing and yet now as you say it's it's almost impossible to to stop off to buy something and it not be a bar of chocolate yeah it's, it's just all everywhere just so isn't it yeah absolutely yes yeah yeah so uh okay well I'll miss the Thornton shops, although I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because I don't remember the last time I was in one. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, you're going to miss them. Where was your nearest Thornton shop, Heather? It was on Pride Hill in Shrewsbury. Um, and then here in Oswestry, there was, um, up until recently, though not, not, I don't know, 10 years ago perhaps, um, there was a, a, a news agent and they had a Thornton's concession in there. Um and now, now we're down to, you know, you can pick up a box in Sainsbury's or Tesco's or other supermarkets. And But I don't think I'll ever lose sight of that. It feels like, you know, sometimes it's, 
somebody will say, oh, you know, I need to buy a present. What do you want to get? And I always say, I want it to look really expensive, but I don't want to spend too much money. (laughs) What came to mind when you said about uh, you don't want it to um, look cheap is (laughs) the the garage um, bunch of flowers. Well, so you want yeah. to buy some flowers, but you don't want to buy them from the garage wrapped in exactly. cellophane. Exactly that, because I'm a cheapskate. I, I think it's an interesting story, and it just reminded me of this whole, um, and, and I could have gone on down a whole other rabbit hole, um, but the idea that, you know, some household brands, you know, family businesses, and how they've been swept up by the likes of Kraft, um, Cadbury's, um, Coke, Coca-Cola Schweppes, you know, all of these, not all, but, you know, so many were, you bought it on the high street, it was set up, it started in somebody's back kitchen or whatever, and and now they're just getting consumed all, yeah, consumed, yeah. subsumed into the big dice. But it's not long ago we talked about Green and Blacks, was it? And that was mm. um, a high-end um, artisan-type chocolate, wasn't it? And that's... yeah. yeah. Craft, isn't it now? It was bought by Cadbury's and then uh, part of the craft craft, yeah. But it, but I still wonder if we went back to Sheffield um when they started making the chocolate, um yeah, and Belper actually, but when they if we went back to the person who founded um Thornton's and we said to them, Would you ever consider closing your shops? They would say no. And would you ever consider selling your product to supermarkets or say what? other outlets? What, what yeah, they say what supermarkets? <laughs> yeah, but to, but to other stores, I bet yeah. they, I bet they would have said no. Yeah. So you're going to go and ask Joseph William Thornton. Yes, I'm going to contact him. Yeah, through other other methods. <laughs> oh, if you hear back from him, do let us know. That would be a fascinating story. <laughs> Well, you'll read it in the paper because it'll be a blooming miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's get on to what we're reviewing. And we're both holding a a book in our sticky little mitts, aren't we? Our chocolate-covered fingers. (laughs) And it's called Open With Close, The 12-Point Guide to Closing More Sales by a gentleman called Matthew Elwell. He calls himself Matt Elwell in in everything that I've read so far. Um, You spotted this, Heather. I did. Sorry. First question, before we talk about the book, what do you think about the feel of the cover? I I like it. It's got like a soft, almost suede-type feel to it. Do you not like it? A bit waxy? To start with, I thought, oh, is that wet? Um, (laughs) It felt a bit weird, but... Yeah, a little bit waxy. I quite like that. Um, Yeah. Now now you've Mm. made me think about it. Um, I'm (laughs) overthinking it now. What do I think about the cover? So you spotted this, Heather. How did you come across this particular book? Oh, do you know, I think I was on Facebook and I was a victim of a marketing ploy where something popped up in my timeline and it was around... um, I think it, it, it was a YouTube video or, or something, and then it was a um, you don't don't miss your free copy of my book, uh, and all you had to do was pay two pound fifty £2 postage, postage yeah. or something. Yes, yeah, and and I thought that looks like an interesting subject for a book. Um, 
I'll send off. And then we talked about it. And obviously you got one as well. Yeah. So what, what do you think about it? Okay. So there was a bit of a delay in us getting the book, which did make me think, was this too good to be true? But actually mm. the book did arrive. You, you followed it up for us both, didn't you, Heather? But it did arrive. And, they, and, and to be fair, they were on it straight away. Yeah. It's contacted because we wanted to review it a few weeks ago. And uh, we said, we, I said, we were a bit disappointed that it hadn't come. And they were like, right, mine arrived within two days. I think yours pretty much did as well. It's yeah. Like, on it. But while we were waiting for the book to come, and apologies that we didn't review it a few weeks ago, but I was AWOL, as we know. Um, mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I got access to the video series. And I actually, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos that Matt's done. I've seen a done. couple, yeah. 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 I, I think he's a really good talker. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that, for example, one of the things that made me smile, almost a little chuckle to myself, was his criticism of the phrase, let's touch base, <laughs> making me giggle. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to touch your base. <laughs> I want to talk to you. <laughs> I don't even remember the context of that phrase, but that's still stuck in my head. I don't want to touch your base. <laughs> Um, yeah, so watch the video series, and you get a lot from the video series. He was, I think, promoting the book in the video series, and the yeah. book has got more to it. But if you want to get an idea of what's in the book, then, yeah, the video series is very good as well. I think the list price for this book that we got is £11.99, according to the back of the book. And I, I like it. I like um, how it's laid out. There's loads of white space um it's very clear with the chapters there's key points dotted throughout it and um it, it's um it leads you through the the mm. um the the whole premise of the book which is how to um close more sales what about you do you, do you like it heather i do like it i like the way it's laid out um i think it's there's a bit of me that thinks it's pitched at people who perhaps are really apprehensive about sales. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm not saying it's an idiot's guide. That sounds patronising. Uh, but it's he, he really paints out. He takes you on that um, progression, as you say, you know, things to think about, you know, before you're even trying to make a sale. You know, what do you need to be talking about with the potential client? You know, how do you qualify them? And the, the one thing that I think is really interesting, and he, and he talked about this on one of the videos that I watched, you've basically got to, if you don't believe in what you're selling, nobody else is going to believe in it. And yeah. it's that whole, um, he says, you know, use your heart, let your heart do the thinking. It's all very well to use your gut feel, but actually think about um, what, what you're going to give to, what's the benefit and do you believe in it? Because people will just smell it on you. If you if you don't believe in what you're trying to sell, why on earth would anybody else? And and, and I think that's a really valid point. Um, and he helps you to think about, you know, what's your proposition? What do they need? What do they want? You know, we we've all heard that. Um, and do you remember quite a while ago we talked about um, selling? Yeah. Uh, and. And the guy, I can't, the name escapes me, but the guy said, you're not selling. It's about buying. Yeah. They're buying from you. It's not about you. It's about them. 
Yeah, I, I don't remember who that was, but I really remember the conversation we had about yeah. it. Yeah, I'm going to have to go and, and listen to one of our shows again then. <laughs> so I think I think it's re- I think that's really relevant. Um, what in terms of the the level at which it's pitched? What do, what do you think, Tracy? You've um... yeah, it would be a little unfair of me to um, to sort of comment too much on that because we have read a lot of books about sales before mm. and I've been mm. on numerous courses on sales you know yeah. run by, some, by some very good people um, and I would say it's up there with those courses and those other books that we've read it's not overwhelming in, in that there's too much shoved in there and it's made to appear like this is a massive task for you to do. It's quite a smallish book. It's split into 12 steps. So I think it's something, like you say, it's aimed at somebody who's potentially needing guiding along the way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe hasn't read 20 other books on how to close a sale or how to sell before. If you've read a lot of other books on sales, you might find that it's um, it's too thin for you. But actually, I think it's, it's quite a good um, starter, a good starter book. Yeah, I think I think also if you have read a lot of books on sales, this actually reminds you. It cut, you know, it cuts through to some of the more salient points, the things that you just need to remember, uh, because it's easy to become blasé. As soon as you become blasé when you're trying to sell, because you think, oh, I'm the kiddie, I, you know, I yeah. can sell, you know. Ice to Eskimos Col- or whatever. Coles to Newcastle. Yeah. Coles to Newcastle. Um, then you start losing the sales. Yeah. Uh, but my my favourite, favourite um, uh, step was step eight. And this is one that I remember my father saying to me a long, 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 long time ago when you were negotiating. And that was the power of the pause, the use of silence and how, you know, you when you when if you've asked the right question, you then just shut up and listen and, and listen. And my, and my, I always remember my dad said that um, if you want to close a sale, you, you ask the right question. And the first person to speak is the person who's lost. So, <laughs> you know, if you yeah. speak first, you've started negotiating and you're going to have to negotiate down. You ain't going to negotiate up. Uh, but if you leave the silence, most people will need to fill it. Yeah, and that's when you listen because what they say then is is the thing that's going to clinch the deal for you. And I I just remember that, and I just thought, oh yeah, he's he's yeah. Uh, my dad rem- was right, <laughs> which is something I don't often say. <laughs> well, it does remind me. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but it does remind me of a boss I had way too many years ago for me to remember now that. Um, one of the, his tools in his toolkit um, was he would phone his managers who were, um, they weren't all based in the same office. So we were, were all in different um, cities, different towns around the UK. Um, and one of his tools was to phone you up and then just say, hi, and, and then go quiet. Oh, wicked. And so the managers would then start by filling it in with whatever was on their mind. So this guy would just phone and say, hi. And then they'd blurt out whatever it was that was the most important thing that he needed to hear, 
which worked mostly apart from around about that time I was um I'd been a, a Samaritan volunteer for quite a few years and I was used to silence <laughs> so you can imagine how that phone call went and uh, I rang up I, a big phone bill yeah so I didn't know that this was his trick until after so I, I said to one of my colleagues I just had a really strange conversation with Mike uh, he just phoned me up and said hi I said hi back and then I waited to see what it was he wanted to say Brilliant. And we just sat there for ages, like, okay. <laughs> and that's when, when my colleague told me, oh, that's, you know, that's what he does. He, he waits to, to hear what, what you think is important. And so you blurt it out to fill the silence. That's brilliant. That is genius. Uh, yeah, could lead to a lot of confusion in some conversations, but because it could go down to <laughs> I'm not saying it's a foolproof uh, method, but yes. Um, it, but it, it did bring that into mind. Yeah, silence is, is very powerful. Yes. But having said that this is a good starter, I do believe having looked at a lot of the material that Matt provides, is he then... I think his aim is to then support the readers beyond the book. So yeah. he runs something called the Elite Closing Academy, which is taking the people who've read this book, I think, and thought, yeah, I want more of that. And so he coaches you to being more skilled at some of the things that are in the book. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's the classic, isn't it? Write a book. People are impressed with the content. They want more because of course he doesn't give away the crown jewels in the book, but he, he he does give a lot of valuable content for you to think about. I found him quite easy to listen to. Um, yeah. He's he's a normal bloke. He's not overly polished in his approach. He's very good. At, he's very good at delivering a message, but he's not. Um, yeah, that, I, I was going to mention that. The, the video isn't slick. No, it comes it's human. Yeah, but we've mentioned that in some of the talks, uh, the video talks that we've seen where we go, actually, that's probably really authentic yeah. <laughs> because, it, yeah. it, it, you know, they stumble across a, a few words or something or, yeah. you know, it's not completely polished. But, yeah, it makes him very engaging to listen to because you feel like he's, he's telling the truth. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No, it's absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, the elite closing academy dot com is um, where he talks about the, the the program that you can sign up for, the training that you can have. But uh, if you and if you pop along there, I think you can. That's where you can order your copy of the book. I don't know if the offer is still standing with the free copy just with postage, but um that's uh, Open With a Close, The 12-Point Guide to Closing More Sales by Matthew Elwell, or Matt Elwell, as uh, as he likes to be known. Thank yeah, you very cool. much. Yeah, well, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we found it. I'm glad we found it. I'm glad you found it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to profile somebody that when Heather mentioned the name, I thought we, we must have talked about him. His, his base not far from where we both live. Surely we've, we've talked about him before. But it appears we haven't. We haven't talked about Simon Nixon before. And uh, and doubly so, I don't know why we haven't, because my husband used to work for the company that, um, that he founded <laughs> and sold and made his 1.35 billion. Yeah, well, I feel like a doofus him. now. <laughs> I know, third richest person in Wales. Yeah, so he... He is worth around $1.2 billion, having earned his money from the company 
that Heather's husband used to work for, and that's Money Supermarket. Um, he founded it in 1993. It went public in 2007, and then he became a billionaire in 2016 when he fully divested from the company. Yeah, so amazing. how did Simon Nixon, <laughs> given that we should have already talked about him, but um, recently has he come into your um awareness for a particular reason or was it just you were looking and you thought why haven't we talked about him before again it was one of those you, know, you always sort of keep your eye out for people that are of note um and have interesting stories or have been particularly successful i think i came across a list um and so whenever i come across a list i think right have we t have we spoken about everybody on this list and you know most of them we have um, and then there was simon nixon and it was like well why yeah, haven't we haven't we? talked about him and why haven't we classic yeah so um and and i think his story is interesting because of the connection where you know i know my husband worked worked for them um and, but then the fact that he did just literally sell everything you know sell sell all all of his investment in that in that business and then go off and do things that are completely different yeah, uh, he invests in lots of different companies. I, I read yeah. somewhere that he's he's hoping to just invest at some point in the one. But in the meantime, he's investing in lots of different companies to see which one, you know, pans out and, and makes him more fortune, I think. So he's um, things that you might have heard of that he's invested in, Airbnb, Robinhood, TransferWise. And I don't know if you explored this website, Heather, but he's got his own private holiday rental site called Simon Escapes. I did. I could you, did. Could you afford a week in one of those houses, Heather? Well, all I can say is Simon Escapes, there are six properties and I have been to all of the places except for Barbados. I have been to Cornwall, I've been to the Lake District, I've been to the Cotswolds, I've been to Mallorca and I've been to Cumbria, uh, but I have never seen or stayed in. I mean, they, they are phenomenal, these places. Yeah, they, they are, are luxury, real luxury. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it, it's classic, you know, it's not like how much a week it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, too many yeah. zeros on the end of the uh, just a few. So he currently but, lives in Jersey. He moved from Chester, I think, in 2013, and uh, he moved to Jersey for tax reasons. Um, needless to say, it, on the Forbes website, he lives in Jersey in a multi-million-dollar home. Of course, he's not going to live in a shack, is he? No, he's not. He's not. His property portfolio at Simon Escapes is worth three hundred and ten million. And when you bear in mind that that that's um, six properties, uh, that's sixty million per property. Just doing the maths there, you can see uh, why it costs so much per week to rent it out. Yes, yeah. But he also then has got about five hundred million pound of other investments in some of these these other organisations. And he, the portfolio is, it, well, his portfolio sits on something called Seek Ventures. And what I loved, I don't, did you pop to that website? I did, yeah. Did yeah. I loved, just before I even delved into the site itself, it said, we invest in, and then the word trailblazers comes up, and then the word 
category killers comes up and then the words dark horses come up and it was like oh my goodness you know then then they're looking for risk they're looking for um high risk high return uh, and i you know that pretty much sums up when you look at where he's where he's where they've been investing it's in organizations that are emerging technologies or yeah. um, i've just found the article where he says he's looking for the next google or the next facebook ah okay does that makes okay. sense doesn't it yeah 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 but yeah it, it does but then it, it's it's really interesting because he had a money supermarket <laughs> you know it's kind of, it, you know it's it's that stretch that he sold it now he's looking for another one yeah bigger and better and whereas most people would go blimey okay um i've amassed i've done billion. money supermarket thank you yeah yeah did um have, did you watch any videos of him speaking no i didn't that's unusual for me isn't it and I, I need to rectify that what did you see well, it was just that we did have a little bit of a joke when we um, found his profile and we sort of said, oh, yeah, I don't know why we haven't previewed him. He, the 53-year-old you know, single billionaire. Billionaire who looks, you know, like he Not... spends a lot of time in the sun, um, had a nice shirt on, you know, lots of things to, uh, to commend think. him. Oh, yeah, well, okay. yes. yeah. yeah, commend him, yes. Um, but I... I I found that you mentioned Mrs. Merton, didn't you? The uh, what did what was her what was her line? She was talking to Debbie McGee, wasn't she? And she said, uh, "What is it that attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels?" <laughs> well, Simon Nixon's got a long-term girlfriend, so um, who knows when they met? Anyway, I digress. But it, I watched an interview that uh, that he did with in two thousand and nine. Um, so this is a, a while ago um, for uh, real business. So they were sitting on some sort of shack somewhere quite hot, and um, and he was talking about his journey and him as um, an entrepreneur. And and there were a few things that there were a few things that he said that I thought, okay, yeah, I don't know if. I don't know if we would get along, <laughs> um, but, but if, because he is a true entrepreneur, he, she asked him if he, um, to bear in mind that the organisation was the largest European flotation um, at just under 90 million when it, wow. flo you know, that was massive. Um, does he read management, management books? He almost sort of laughed in the face of the interviewer and said, no, no, of course, no, no, <laughs> never read one in my life. I read biographies of people who inspire me and people who've been successful. Okay. And in that, he he cites Terry Leahy of Tesco and Michael O'Leary of Ryanair, okay. who may be Marmite, but they're successful and they're very clever. The thing that I thought was really sad was that he didn't have a mentor or he doesn't consider that he had a mentor mm -hmm. and he doesn't mentor others. Okay. And We've seen a lot of um, people who've who've done really well with their careers go on to mentor other people yeah. haven't we yeah to me it's a natural progression but I don't know maybe he's not that kind of guy but it, I was really disappointed oh not that I wanted him to mentor me but you know there must be there must be people for whom he could add real significant value yes you would think so wouldn't you but maybe he's adding the value by investing in their companies 
and seeing yeah, the potential yeah. in their companies um, and, and enabling them to go on and see if they're the next Google or the next Facebook. Not, not yeah. everybody can be a mentor, can they? No, and not everybody I suppose. should be a mentor, I guess. No, maybe that's the thing. But I, I just thought, oh, you know, when we got onto the subject of mentoring, I thought he was going to say, oh, yeah, I had a brilliant mentor and they helped me with this and I'm paying it forward. But maybe it's because he didn't have one that he doesn't feel the need to be one. I don't know. I mm. don't know. Oh, I, I'm just reading um, an article here in that was in the Sunday Times a few years ago. I came up across the paywall, so I've only got two paragraphs of it. <laughs> but um, I, I just made the link. His uh, girlfriend is an accountant. His girlfriend's called Jess. She's an accountant. And actually, it, according to Forbes, he studied accountancy at Nottingham University before dropping out at the age of mm. 20. So maybe he met her there. I wonder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he's a self-cited dropout, you know, because it was boring, I think. Um, yeah, and I, I also just noticed that he invested in, um, did you ever come across the food, the food market, the big, um, like, food supermarkets that were, food supermarkets, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> um, Not many supermarkets. <laughs> no, no. Um no, it was a, it was a big food and wine, organic. I think um, he invested in that, and he also invested in something called Cabby, a price comparison and booking app for London minicabs. Oh, well, crikey! What about Uber? You know, maybe <laughs> he had, maybe he had found the next Uber, but I don't yeah. know for whatever reason just back the wrong horse yeah i don't know i don't know well anyway but, that that's simon nixon we've we finally yeah. profiled him we're sorry we missed him off before um i'm sure there are plenty of other people we've missed as well so do let us know if there's somebody that you think you know what ladies they live on your doorstep why haven't you profiled them yeah 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 please yeah please flag them up Oh, and we mentioned earlier on that um, I didn't buy Heather a coffee while I was um, listening to our podcast as I was travelling back and to, to Liverpool. Um, that facility is available to all listeners. Should you take pity on us and think, oh, they sound like two women who need a coffee, <laughs> then uh, we, we have made it possible for you to donate uh, a sum of money which will purchase a reasonable cup of coffee I imagine and that button for you to do that is on our website the business.community it does rather rudely just say buy us a coffee it does look like an instruction doesn't it? I feel like I need to soften that like would you buy us a coffee please if you don't mind but the button yeah not it big does enough. say yeah thank thanks thanks for listening you can buy, buy us a coffee <laughs> Well, I think I it's like it's to the point, Direct. isn't it? To the point, yes. <laughs> so if if you feel like, uh, <laughs> well, if you just want to shut up for a bit and uh, take a sip of coffee, <laughs> then why not press on that button and buy us a coffee? Go and have a listen. I have a read of the blogs on the website, which is the business.community, and catch up with any of our previous podcasts there as well. That's all we've got time for this week on the business community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years 
at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Bye.